Today is Sunday, January 29th, 2017. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. I got to get my take into the show, too. Yeah, the only thing that surprised me was kind of that the Celtics were the third team to do it. Like, you know, it's coming, all the teams, maybe not all the teams, but the vast, vast majority of teams are going to do it. But I just had a sense maybe the Celtics would wait it out and see how the other teams handled it a little more, almost because they do have one of the more iconic jerseys in the NBA with all the history behind it. It's a but big they, victory they also, for corporate America. Yeah, because once, are, you get, once you get the Celtics jerseys, it's like uh, Grizzlies, Hornets, I'm sorry. You're coming along the way. That, that's that's the big coup for them. Yeah, I mean, the NBA, if you're the NBA, like, you love this, that the Celtics have taken the jump. Um, but as far as they go, it, it's not a bad one. Like, they, I think if, if for some reason, the GE logo is blue, right? If for some reason this thing had been blue, it would have been a disaster. But it's green, and I was talking last night to Mike Zarin, assistant general manager, before the game, and uh, he, he said, like, that was a big sticking point. Like, they said, look, we've never had our... We've never had our uh, logo be green before, and the Celtics really wanted it, and they made that happen because they realized it would have looked pretty bad if it was blue. And it's pretty, once the kind of thing, like, some people are in uproar right now, but, like, after one game of seeing it, people forget it's even there. Yeah, we got the whole, the, what would Red think? And I, I would love, people tweeted me a lot this week asking, hey, what would what, what Red think? I was like, you know what, I'm going to save it for the show. And, uh, I gotta be honest. I'm a straight shooter. Uh, I cannot get on my high horse and criticize advertisements coming up on episode number 194 of Celtics Beat, uh, which this week is being brought to you by Blue Apron and Audible. Audible.com/slash try now for a free <laughs> audiobook to go along with a free 30-day trial. So yeah, like I said, I, I am not going to get on my high horse and be all mortified over the jersey advertisements. But one final thought on it: the door is open. It's like the government taking away your freedoms. Once we yeah. was keeping tabs on what books you checked out at the library to, you know, stop terrorism. <laughs> it's now monitoring every keystroke. So, yes, the NASCAR jerseys are coming. Prepare yourself for that. I actually don't think it is all that bad, maybe because I've gotten so used to the advertisements here uh, on, on my show. Actually, if anything, if it cuts down on commercial time in the long run, I think that's a far more efficient way to use advertisements. But I guess it is easy for me to say, though. Go to blueapron.com slash Celticspeed for three free meals and free shipping. I wish this podcast <laughs> space was as sacred as the Celtics jerseys, where everyone would be horrified that we have as many advertisements on this show. Anyways, because— That was a smooth, uh, that was a smooth uh, pitch by you. I thank like you very much. But because of everyone's continued support of Celticspeed, and our sponsors keep using those coupon codes, peeps— we get people like Adam Himmelsbach on this show, Celtics beat reporter for the Boston Globe. Hello, Adam. Hey, man. I thank you so much for doing this stuff. For those who download the show like they're opening a present on Christmas morning and they have no idea what's coming up or no idea who I was just speaking to, which I now know is none of you, but I will do it anyways. Today's show will feature Kevin McHale. I actually got a which Kevin McHale. No, I didn't get a which Kevin McHale. Thank God. But yes, Kevin McHale, Celtics legend, one of the 50 greatest players, former league exec coach, now analyst for NBA on TV, NBA TV, and then doing color commentary for the NBA on TNT. little tongue twister there. Tomorrow night when the Pistons come to down. And as a continuation and now a conclusion to the Celtics at the halfway point, which they are now well past. But last week's show, we released it after game 43 of 82. Midterm report cards for the all the players. Didn't touch on Brad Stevens. That was all part of the grand plan uh, because... 
Brad Stevens kind of deserves his own little segment, more than just a blurb. So, Adam, how's the coaching been thus far? Take the floor, please. Thank you very much. You, you have uh, Kevin McHale as a guest. Did I hear that right? Yeah, coming up. You're batting yeah, that's for pretty him. good. Thank you. Yeah, I feel I'm honored to be on that show, man. Nice job. Thank you very much. How's yeah, obviously it's much more difficult to assess coaching than it is players just because players we have mountains and mountains of statistics and coaches it's a little um, less clear but I think if you look he's had a challenge this year because there's you know if you're a coach the one thing you want is to have your team you have your team together and see where you stand and grow as a group but they haven't been able to do that because they've had key guys hurt basically all season so I think if you factor that in um, and see where they are right now right in Right in the next Eastern Conference, I don't think, you know, sure, there's like some decisions maybe they've made that could have uh, be second, could be second guess, and Brad would like to have back, but I think every coach would tell you that at this point in the year. I know. Where to start? I don't know. Positives, negatives, lukewarm, I guess. I can even just give a rundown. Positives. Gap, I mean, the coach Nick said it here at the beginning of the month, one of the primary measures of judging how good of a coach someone is in the, in the NBA out of excuse me, out of timeouts offense or, or ATOs as we like to say. Once again, the Celtics are in the top five. I have to, you know, you have to the offensive emergence. We can all say Al Horford. I mean, Isaiah Thomas having the year that he's having. How much of an impact that is? But I mean, you hate to use the cliches of guys buying in. It's great to say they're moving the basketball. The ball movement's phenomenal. They're top, usually top two to three in assist ratio all year. How about that? This is sort of one we get on. So. There has been a little criticism, especially earlier in the week, the whole thing with Marcus Smart uh, freaking out. By the way, how do, how do you think Brad handled the whole Marcus Smart thing? He benched him the next night uh, against Houston. How do you think he handled Marcus? And I'll, we can sort of get into what I wanted to get into. I could just throw this right back to you, Adam. So he said he said before that game, like, he didn't use the exact words, but he said, listen, I'm, I made this change in the starting lineup just because this is what I, what, I, what I want to do with the starting lineup. He kind of said it didn't have to do with the incident. I originally thought, okay, like clearly it has to do with the incident because why would you randomly put Jalen Brown in for Marcus Smart against the Rockets? And then Smart starts the Then he put him in with like four and a half minutes left in the first quarter. So if that was a benching, that's really not much of a benching. Like you don't really see like the six-minute, seven-minute benching very often. Um, I thought personally that they would sit him at the very least the whole first quarter, more likely the first half. Um, but I don't know, maybe it really wasn't. Maybe he just really wanted to put Jalen in and it had nothing to do with it. Or maybe he really wanted to win this game and realized that, that was their best chance. I think he should have been suspended for a half. I think they should have sat him for an entire half. Just because, you know, people talk about how they've had stuff with whatever, Jared Selinger overslept or shoot around in the past and was benched for a quarter. I mean, this is a little more than that. I know Marcus is a fiery guy, but to just lash out publicly in front of your coaching staff and at your coaching staff, I think that kind of sends a message and if you're that that's maybe you know allowed like what happens the next time now a guy like flips off at a coach okay well marcus did that and nothing happened to him i know it actually i thought it kind of passed pass with flying covers pass with flying colors you know he made so many huge plays in that game down the stretch i guess he normally sees to does getting all those loose balls he had a couple of big offensive rebounds uh and he brought a lot of energy out to start the third quarter when he ended up did Starting the third quarter, uh, it is a little interesting storyline in its own right, though. But the defensive effort, how do you sort of look at that? So uh, there's, there's two ways to look at it. I think 
Brad Stevens last year, I don't know if he will, but the team I thought was very good at, quote-unquote, being ready to play, which is something to say in the NBA when there's 82 games. There's been a little less of that this year, but I don't think anything to where you raise a red flag over. There have been a little more games. Now, both games at Washington, uh, let's see, the Knicks um, back earlier, like two weeks ago, there was a game against Denver at the beginning of the year. The defensive intensity in those games is... Pretty much there was no defensive intensity. Uh, but it's nothing, I think, to raise a red flag over because there, it isn't like it's been a ton of games. But Smart lashing out at the coaches and even being frustrated at certain players. He didn't name anyone in the papers after the Washington game. You were there. Who in your eyes are these culprits that Smart seems to be? Because this is not the first time where he's questioned defensive intensity this year. Let's let's start naming names. Do you have any culprits there? No, I, don't, I don't think necessarily it's, it's like – two guys that the rest because you know you've heard Isaiah say the same thing after games you've heard Jay Crowder say things same things after games I think it's more a matter of getting all the guys on the same page maybe one one night you know there's been times where like Isaiah Marcus had been like crossed up on switches which you don't didn't really see them do very often last year and kind of the communication stuff and part of that might go back to you know working in Al Horford having all these injuries and and guys still not finding that that complete rhythm um but it's been kind of puzzling, to be honest. Like, this is a team – I was talking to somebody about this recently. Like, at the start of the year, they were talking about, let's be the best defensive team in the NBA. We think this can happen. And us in the media, like, none of us thought that was, like, an absurd notion. We're like, yep, they were really I, good on I, defense I said last it. year. I said it, number one. <laughs> Al Horford is, like, a good a good plus defender. Like, why couldn't they be? You know, they're more familiar with each other, more familiar with Brad's system. And it's really been stunning. And I think it's been even stunning to Brad Stevens to see the way that they've slipped. And I think it boils down primarily to two big things. The rebounding has – they knew they were going to be a bad rebounding team. Brad will tell you that from, from day one. He never thought they would be a good rebounding team. But they didn't know they'd be, like, horrible in some games. Um, the Houston game was kind of encouraging because they did. They, they out-rebounded them, like, 38-20, to 20, uh, which is – and Houston's, like, a top-10 rebounding team. And then they're just not turning people over like they did. You know, that was something that they – did really well, you know, particularly with steals, and those numbers have fallen. Um, so I don't know if it's something that's going to, like, snap and fix. They're not going to finish the season top five defense, like, no matter what happens. But I think they can still kind of recover. And, and maybe that Houston game, even they gave up 109 points, that looked, that looked more like the Celtics defense that we were expecting to see. Maybe that's the start of something for them. Can we talk about Isaiah Thomas in this? I know, that, I know he's your man. But uh, it's, that seems to be getting highlighted a little bit, is that little defensive conundrum uh, in terms of that on the other end of the floor with IT. Yeah, I mean, I I'm so I did a thing in the Globe like prior to the All-Star starters where with the media having a vote this year, uh, basically I think it was 100 media members could pick, make the vote for starters, and that would count as 25% of the vote. So I contacted a bunch of those voters and said, who are you picking? Like ahead of time to try to get a sneak peek. And the one uh, – and Isaiah – finished first in the media vote so obviously the media likes him but the ones who passed on him several told me would look like the guy's unbelievable on offense he's scoring he's doing things in the fourth quarter that no one really does but he's just a liability on defense and here are the defensive metrics to prove it and sure enough like if you look at one of his espn's it's like defensive real dead, last, kind of, dead last by a he's last shot. in the nba like not even just among point guards like in the nba he's he is last um and you know like Sometimes metrics can be fluky, but also when you're when you're last out of 438 players, there's probably something to that. And people are going to be like, people are going to be. The thing is, Brad often defends Isaiah's 
defense. And Isaiah does. And he's and he's and he is kind of. It's not like he's out there loafing around by any means. But the bottom line is, when you're five nine, people can shoot over you and they can post you up, and that's going to make it easier to score. I don't like how players seem to be getting around him. I know Kyle Lowry seems to have no issue getting around. Toronto, I thought last year, sort of laid the blueprint on what to do against the Celtics defensively, and now you're seeing a lot more of that this year. Alan Ayers, i got to shout him out, put together some great video clips of how Al Horford and Kelly Olenek, Olenek's actually pretty good at it, but there's been a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of criticism, but there has been criticism about Horford, how he's a little step too slow, uh, but they're constantly shadowing Isaiah on defense. They're constantly, it's almost like a safety having to pick up for some crappy cornerback who's who's on a really, so that's really taken away from what they're doing. And I, you know, I looked it up too. It says like, are they giving up more shots at the rim? No, it's actually uh, pretty similar to what they are last year, but just sort of the, 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 not just the physical demand that there is, but it is even just the mental demand that it is where those guys constantly are constantly sh- uh, shadowing Isaiah's guys. And, you know, getting back to, to Brad Stevens, I kind of feel that that is something that you hate use because it's such an extreme word and it's such a word that's used on, you know, radio and all the talk shows a lot. But that has been exposed. And to use sort of coaching in this, like, do you blame Brad Stevens at all for the plunge in defense? Of course, Brad Stevens had a lot to do with prior teams, prior Celtics teams overachieving defensively and we can even get into the whole you know, Al Horford at center is Amir Johnson a little bit out of position is that hurting the you know defense in the paint in regards to Isaiah and you know it's it's funny because Isaiah is you got Dominique Wilkins against Larry Bird in the fourth quarter every single night now that's good and bad I mean it's you know it's a lot of fun for us to watch and what Isaiah is doing is incredible but it's also Isaiah or it's also Dominique against Larry in the fourth every night and that's why but it, it's almost like defensively that that blueprint is there with Isaiah and what the Raptors showed everybody else last year. And now you have so many guards having these big games against the Celtics this year. It's almost like if I could use another sports parallel, it's like when Bill Belichick, when he just didn't have, or he had just a glaring weakness that every team could take advantage of. I remember going way back 2002 year after they won the Super Bowl, they had these terrible defensive tackles and you could just run on them every single, you can just put a buck 50 on the ground every single game. And there was nothing. Bill Belichick, the greatest defensive coaching mind in football history, could do about that. I kind of sense that a little bit there with Brad. Are there any suggestions you would like to make as a beat reporter? I guess you go, hey, Brad, you know, beat reporter here for the Boston Globe. I'd like to, but is there anything, I guess, you would like to make, you know, suggestions you would make Brad to make on the defensive end? I mean, I'm, I, I would be like the last person to tell Brad Stevens, like one of the brightest NBA minds, how to coach his team. I, th- I think the biggest thing is, is the inconsistency they've had. Uh, in personnel, which has then affected the inconsistency on defense, which then has led guys to come like a little more disconnected. And with defense, you've got to be locked in at all times, and that's something they were last year. And I think sometimes what you've seen this year is a little more of like the shoulders stacking. Like teams start to go on runs, and instead of picking up the defense, guys go, "Oh man, like here we go again." And that that's not something typically we saw last year, even the year before that. But when you you got Mark Smart missing significant time, Avery Bradley missing time, Jay Crowder missing time, it was it's been tough. I mean, at this point last year, all those guys hadn't missed like significant. Uh, well, Smart was in and out of the lineup, I think, twice uh, last year. Jay, now, I don't know. Right, but Jay Crowder didn't miss ten games at this at this point in the year. No, like okay. they, you know, and you're, while you're while you're throwing in Al Horford, um, then again, that's not that's not like to make an excuse for him. But I think that that maybe was 
let's put the initial dent in. And then all of a sudden, like I was saying, like teams go on these runs and this team get this team gets deflated from it and it gets frustrated as opposed to, all right, let's get this. Let's go back and, and attack like we usually do. What about, so there's been inconsistency in personnel injuries, but what about actually, I think another underlying storyline in, in terms of what you can talk about with Brad Stevens here at the halfway point. And now he did this a ton last year. And if you could, uh, I know you remember this, Jay Crowder after a game against Orlando, I want to say in November, Hey, we got no rotations. They have rotations this year, but there still seems to be a lot of lineup experimentation. In fact, the end of games, it seems like he's trotting out a different, I don't want to say completely different five-man unit, but there's certainly no set lineup to close games. And here we are on the last Sunday in January. Now, is I want to say, I guess I can ask you, one, is this something that, like last year, he, he will probably settle in and around February and March? And two, I guess, what do you make of really the, just in general, the overall lineup experimentation he's doing? Yeah, you know, I think, I could be wrong in this, but it feels like he's there's been a little more experimenting with based on the opponent. You know, like like Jonas Jarebko started has started both games against the Rockets. The first game was in November. The second game was late January, and it wasn't like oh let's let's go back to because hey this Rockets team can shoot the heck out of the ball. Um, it would be great to have somebody who can spread the floor and switch on defense. So Jonas is going in. Um, you know, Al Horford against the Rockets started the fourth quarter. Like, I think I think we're confusing seeing who they're playing against with, oh, why don't you guys have a set rotation when Brad doesn't necessarily want these are my five for the fourth. It's, all right, who are the five that are out there? Who do I need? All right, Jonas, you're in. All right, let's close on this. Uh, Al Horford playing center. Now, the big – because you're in on this as much as anybody. Obviously, we all know – Part of the recruiting pitch to getting Al Horford was, yeah, you can play power forward. The organization, you know, in private will tell you they view him as a center. This is something that probably won't be able to be rectified this year. Maybe next year when it's like when he's 31, he's got a year on his belt. It's like, hey, Al, you know, we really need you to do do this for you. I mean, what do the Celtics do there? It's not, I don't think it's a huge – I don't think it's as big of an issue as – you know, Coach Nick and, and, and some of the some other people around the you know the internet realms are making it. I think there's a little more underlying issues on the defensive end, but of course, I, the numbers do show the Celtics are better with Al at center. Yeah, I mean, when he's out there with Amir, Amir is technically playing center. Now at the four. The thing is, Amir, Amir's same time is decreased. And the Celtics have like, like Brad will always tell you, he kind of views them as position a positionless team, um, and that's how he likes to see them. Um, but you know. The things Al can do on defense, I don't think it's it's going to be some huge thing. You don't you don't hear him talking to us about it. Like I don't I think ultimately it doesn't really factor into to his style of play or the the things that he wants or why he signed here or anything like that. I don't I don't see that really as being an issue moving forward. Adam Himmelsbach, Celtics Pete reporter for the Boston Globe. Follow Adam on Twitter at Adam Himmelsbach. Good to have you back on the show, man. Been a while. All right, no problem. Have a good one. Did you know that Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country? Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Achieving this by supporting more sustainable food system and setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. Home chefs means cooking together, which means greater family bonds. Personally, I look forward to Fridays when I get home after a long day of working and see a box of fresh ingredients sitting on my front porch. 
perfectly chilled under the perfect temperature. Produce comes in impeccable. The proteins are delicious and the recipes are fun. I'm so looking forward to January and February because I know I'm going to be getting spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage, pork chops and garlic picada with scallions, rice and spinach, mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime and sour cream. How can you ask for more? You don't have to. Blue Apron is free to you. You'll get three free meals and free shipping. All you have to do is go to blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. That's blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. Three free meals, free shipping, zero risk, fresh ingredients, the perfect start to a brand new year. Got a little announcement to make. I, in conjunction with CLNS Radio, our great audio and video producer, Kyle George. Many of you know Kyle from his work in the Celtics locker room on the Garn Report. The producer extraordinaire. But if you have not subscribed to YouTube.com slash CLNS Radio already for all the raw and uncut videos from the coaches and players from the locker room and press table, please do. Because later this week, we will be releasing a documentary on the Celtic career of Paul Pierce, who will be playing his final game at the Garden next Sunday, February 5th. Said film was directed by yours truly and features not just myself, but the great sage of Boston basketball, Mr. Bob Ryan, the legendary Globe scribe, Chris Wallace, who was the man who drafted Pierce to the Celtics back in 1998 when he serves the team's general manager, Sean Grandy, Celtics radio play-by-play. He got a front-row seat to it all, not just the great years for the truth, but the down years, uh... I'm pumped for this film. We tell the whole story of Paul Pierce, the greatest pure scorer in Boston Celtic history. Narrated by Coach Nick, contributions from many, including CLNS's locker reporter Jared Weiss. Exclusive featured interviews, the good, the great, and the bad. Please, I would love if everyone, of course, subscribed to the CLNS Radio YouTube. I'd be honored if everyone who's listening went ahead and watched that upon the doc's release this week. So one more shout, youtube.com slash CLNS Radio, youtube.com slash CLNS Radio. I, I cannot wait until it comes out. I'm very proud of the work we all put into it, so we sincerely hope it will be worth your time. I, I think it will be. I, I really do. And if it's not, let me know. But but we like it, so we we hope you do too. Okay. Featured guests having a time here on episode number 194 of Celtic Speed. So this week we did something very unique here. We opened up the questioning to the audience. It is the first time we have ever done that, but every feasible opportunity we have to give back to the audience who support this show, allow us to have guests like the ones that we do, just like having Adam a few minutes ago. Thank you very much, Adam, coming on. But we try every mechanism to return the favor to the listeners, be it ticket or autograph giveaway contest, which, by the way, we announced the winner earlier this week for the Pistons tickets tomorrow. I will tweet out details for our February game, uh, Celtics home game, on my at CLNS underscore LHR Twitter, probably as soon as like Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. But uh, now did something upon many listeners' requests, a listener-only segment, sticking with that at CLNS underscore LHR Twitter. Thank you to all of those who participated and sent the questions in, and of course, thank you to our guests, to, to agreeing to come on the show and agreeing to do such a thing. Kevin McHale, Kevin McHale, analyst for Turner Sports. I, I do hope I didn't undersell you there, Kevin. That, that's more than enough. All right. So, uh, as you know, and everyone listening, I opened this bad boy up to the audience. I had them tweet in some questions. Uh, obviously, for, you know, time constraints, we 
Uh, we'd be here an awfully long time if we, uh, we, uh, this is a dictatorship, not a democracy. So I picked three. I, uh, three pretty open-ended questions though. So this isn't a bing, bang, boo type deal. So forewarning, Kev, you let the masses run wild. You know, they are going to uh, throw some hanging curveballs over the heart of the plate to get some hot takes out of you. So I, I, I sincerely hope you're cool with that. No problem. All right, good. At NBA first option. I'm sure you never heard this one before. 1986 Boston Celtics v. Fill in the blank. Current Golden State Warriors. Who would have guessed it? Oh boy. Um, well, uh, how, how about the one of the best teams ever? I, uh, you know, that that team was special. That team had a lot of guys came together. Everybody was healthy for a year. Bill Walton came in, added just an unbelievable amount of. Uh, energy and just kind of a good vibe just wanted to win and uh a magical year just just just, just fun it was just a, a blast to play with those guys they're really um about these january i february i went wow you know if we stay healthy there's just no chance we won't win the championship this year and that was that was a great team fun you didn't really answer his question though so i'll keep digging this out of you though but i i actually this is my follow-up I thought obviously there was so many, you know, so much great. The ball moving on that team, especially he had Bird at his peak. You were at his peak. You were in that little nineteen eighty six and pre injury eighty seven where you were just untouchable down to the block. But really, the the big facet of that team that made you guys so great was the size that you had. And uh, you know, I, I can remember, you know, when you would trot Larry Bird. Well, not me remembering the tapes, but Larry would play guard. And th- is that something that you could do nowadays? Is that something you could do against the current Golden State Warriors team where you could use Parrish and Walton up front, you know, you along at the you know, forwards too, Bird at guard? Could you play having size as your advantage now nowadays against a team like Golden State? Well, I mean, that would be an interesting, um, an, an interesting matchup because – uh, still, you know, you, if you control the paint, um, you're going to do really well in games. So our ability to control the paint with being big, uh, blocking shots, not giving you anything in the paint that's, you know, and then, and then going, getting offensive rebounds, getting second shots, that's one thing that I think uh, teams don't do. It. They're afraid of Golden State's ability to break. But one way to stop the break is you pound the offensive glass, keeps all Golden State, keeps everybody in there, and uh, really stops their break, offensive glass. So it would be a really strength and size uh, matchup versus kind of today's game, which is a little bit smaller. But, again, I'll end it on this for you. Talented big beats talented small all the time. Talented small beats non-talented big. And we had a bunch of talented bigs, and I, I like our chances. So you guys win. You said you want to end it, but I do have one more question in regards to that, though. Who guards you? Because I know that's really the big the, the big matchup because you were always the most intriguing matchup. Who do you think would check you on the Golden State team? And the one answer I think that you can't give is Clay Thompson's dad because he was probably the best at it. Yeah, no, I would tell you that uh, um, I don't know who they would, would – they'd have to go bigger. I mean, I just – you know, I mean uh, – as much as I love Draymond Green, I think he's really a competitor. He's just too small. There just wasn't there just wasn't many guys six six that were able to handle us on the inside or handle me on the inside. You know that's just uh, you know that just 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 had too much size. And we you know we really passed the ball really well. So if you double teamed, you made we made you pay. But again, you know I mean that's just a different era, different rules. And I, I, when people ask me this, the first thing I tell them: Are we playing 1986 rules or 2017 rules?
That is that is the big thing too because everything changed, especially really in two thousand three with the whole defensive shifts and, and and everything in terms of able to set defenses in the paint. Uh, but yeah, we would have to find out. You'd also have to really know where the games are as well. It would be seven games on a neutral court, but. For argument's sake and for answering our man's Twitter question there, at NBA First Option, I appreciate you sending that in. This now I can't avoid. This came from at CLNS Nick, underscore Nick, and I uh, couldn't jump around this one. And I know there's some people, there were so many questions that came in. Now all of a sudden, uh, this gets one business per usual, people. I do have to ask this question due to the actual business of the show. So I will give Nick his shout-out, and he threw out in any regrets – towards playing through a sorry i wrote this down on a, on a loose leaf paper i'm all 1980 any regrets playing through the foot injury in 1987 uh no i mean i'd probably do it again we had a chance to win a championship and um you know i mean it, it was a long recovery and uh it bothered me some after that but uh, you know you, you, we, we lost in the finals and um, I, you know, I don't look back on that too much. We all, everybody played through so many more injuries than they do now. And the, the care that you have now in, in the, in the, uh, um, you know, not practicing, you know, resting guys throughout the season. Um, we, you know, we, we, we didn't have that. Private we, jets. We, we, went, we went at it hard. Private, private jets. Sorry, Kev. Yeah, we don't have private jets. No, we, we, we flew commercial. I know the TWA flights at 4 a.m. How about like a little career synopsis? You said you don't think about it, but I'll make you think about it. You're here. What do you think your career synopsis would have been post-1987? You missed what was like the first few months of 88. Um, you came back a little later in that season. Uh, if I rec- if, 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 Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but what do you – after that, you've, you know, you're, I think retired what was it, in 93. So five years later, I believe. What do you think your career synopsis would have been as you say – Shelved it in 87, maybe even after that first-round series against Chicago and played it safe and, you know, didn't have to put all the screws and, and, and everything else that you put in the foot. Rough guesstimate of what your career synopsis would have been had you played it safe in 87. No, I don't know. I, I, honestly, I'll tell you what. I, back back then, you were not I, mean, I, I retired at 35. I wasn't, uh, you know, it, it, it took a toll, but that wasn't the only thing. I, I had other injuries and stuff that just that accumulated. Uh, I was 35 when I retired. Back then, um, that was a full career. You played four years of college. You came in the league at 21, 22. You played 12, 13, 14, 15 years. And that was the max. I mean, these guys now are playing. So, as I said, everything is so different. So I, don't, you know, I really don't, I don't look at it that way at all. I mean, we came in and, Man, we 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 had fun, and we were like, uh, these guys now have long, long, extended careers. You know, you look, you look at Duncan, who had a great career. You look at Nowitzki and these guys. And back when I played, there were a lot more meteor. You know, we were, like I said, we were we, we were meteoric, man. We we were we were uh, shooting stars. We 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 went at it. We went at went at it hard, and went at it for a short period of time. Got beat up, and and that was the end of it. At Rives, Reeves, Rives. Sorry about this. I guess the person they're going to get all ticked off because they're not going to get the Twitter followers. I have one seven eight. Once again, loose leaf paper written down. I'm still that uh, computer dumb. Advice for your pal Danny Ainge. Uh, didn't even say anything about the Celtics in this, so I don't know if it's anything along the lines of maybe you should try putting cross handed. I assume it's Celtics related, but here we go. Advice for Danny Ainge. 
Yeah, he's got to work on his chipping. He's uh, he's, he's that's, that's that part of his game's been falling down lately the last couple of years. Uh, now, Danny with the Celtics, I, I think he knows this. I think that he wants to he wants to add another piece. I think they're close. I think they're a fun team to watch. I, I really enjoy them. I enjoy watching that team play. They need another level guy that can go go get a basket when they need it. A guy that uh, a, a, a guy that give the ball to him at the elbow and he can he, he he makes a play for himself or someone else at the end of games. Uh, Isaiah Thomas has been phenomenal. Um they got grit at starting this year I was surprised they didn't play with nearly the amount of uh tenacity and grit that I was used to that I was used to that team playing with. But now they've gotten back to that and now they got guys that are getting up in people's faces. I mean, you know, Avery Badley can defend you, smart's tough. Um, you know, Jay Crowder will knock you down a little bit. I, 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 I like their team. I like their toughness. I just had a little spirited debate with Adam, Adam Himmelsbeck, who was the Celtics beat reporter, about Isaiah Thomas's defense. And, you know, what I, I did a little crack of it's, it's so much fun to watch of what he's doing on a night in and night out basis. Certainly makes good for television purposes in that you're getting these Dominique Wilkins and Larry Bird fourth quarters every single night. Now, it's obviously fun in, in, in Danny, but that's also the issue in itself is because of uh, Isaiah being technically, as some advanced statistics have shown, he's the well, worst. you know, I, look, at, I, I think he's got it defensively. He, should, he puts a lot of points on the board for the team. He, he's done, doing so much offensively for them. He's small. He should be an irritant. I'd like to say, and I know it takes energy and it's hard to say you're going to be able to do this and still bring the offense that he brings to the game. But he should be up under people, 94 feet. He should be bothering them. I think all those little small little guards get up underneath you. They can press up. They can do things. They can be disruptive. He can be a lot more disruptive on the defensive end. But I do believe that does take away some from your offense. It's hard to do both. But no, I mean, I mean I, again, I, I love the kid. He's got a, he's got a big heart. He drives in there. He, you know, he takes he takes a beat. He gets knocked down. He's got all the willingness. He's a tough, hard-nosed competitor. It's just one of those things where I think he has got to just put a little bit more effort into that defensive end. And, yes, uh, but in turn, that's going to take away a little bit from his offense, and they need him so much on offense. Uh, you know, a lot of the wins they get, he, he's got to make big plays. He's got to push the ball. He's got to do so many things for that team on an offensive. So, you know, drive and kick and play in the paint. Um, it takes a lot of energy, but, he, you know, for me, it doesn't take away that much because I, I understand what they're asking him to do on the offense. Real quick, uh, because we were just talking about career longevity there, and, and just real quick take on this. How do you see Isaiah's back end of his career t- turning out? I believe he's 26, 27. You think that's young, but he is only 5'9". There is only so much abuse a body like that can take, and his, his game is so predicated on his speed. How long do you think Isaiah can go as compared to the other, you know, normal great NBA player towards the back end of his, or even just maybe the second half of his prime because of his whole body frame? Well, I think it's always harder when you're smaller because, um, you, you, you know, you lose a little bit of quickness and it it, it, it affects you. But, I, I mean, I, I don't see him having any drop-off here over the next the short term, next four or five years, I think he's going to, you know, a slight de- decline barring injuries. But I don't see that. I just think it, it, it is harder when you're a smaller guy and you lose some of that quickness and um, uh, you're not able to blow by people. But his shot has improved so much. I think that 
you know, uh, things will evolve, and and you know maybe a, you know in in four or five years Isaiah plays with a, a couple a couple other dominant guys that drive and kick to him, and he becomes more just a spot up shooter. Uh, you know, just your your game evolves and it changes. So saying he will not be the same player five years from now, but he can still be a very effective player. But I don't see any major change in the next three four years. Excellent questions, audience. I know I, I can speak for Kevin that these are, were not Super Bowl media day questions where you got the, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? So, okay, my turn. I made myself the main event here. So I got a documentary film coming out on Paul Pierce on the CLNS Radio YouTube channel prior to Pierce's return to Boston eh, this Super Bowl Sunday. One of the stars of said film, your old pal Bob Ryan, discussed Pierce's place on the all-time Celtic team that the last forward spot were to come down to you and Paul. So I guess I can give you the floor and ask for said material for the film, Kev. <laughs> well, you know, hey, look at that. It's all different. We played a different era. Oh, uh, the political we, we played. I'm just telling you, man. Look, you know what? Paul's a hell of a player and stuff like that. And I don't get it. Honestly, I've never gotten into that stuff. That just, you know what, that, that's, that's one of those things where, it's all about your taste and what you and, and what and what you like. I know, you know, Paul scored a lot more than me. I defended a lot more than Paul. So take 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 which way you like it. Turner Sports is Kevin McHale providing the analysis for NBA TV. Catch him tomorrow uh, in Boston on color commentary. Kevin Harlan on the mic. Kristen Ledlow working the sidelines. Celtics v Pistons at the Garden. 8 p.m. Eastern time on the NBA on TNT special Monday broadcast. We look forward to it, Kev. All right, guys. Take care. You are listening to CLNS Radio, home of the New England Patriots post-game show. No post-game show tonight. Next weekend. Wow, is, is Sunday going to be packed on CLNS? We'll have coverage all day for Pierce's return at the Garden, uh, my film. And, uh, oh, yeah, the Patriots and the Super Bowl thing. But uh, that's six days from now. Tomorrow, Celtics v. Pistons. Uh, if you loved Kevin here, like I said, catch him on color for Turner. I was, I was never going to listen to that game unless he agreed to answer everyone's questions. Uh, uh, no, of, of course. But uh, thank you again, Kevin, for doing that. And thank yous to everyone once again for their participation. I uh, know there was a lot I could not get to. There was a, a ton of questions that was sent in. But I, I do know that I was going to do everything in my power to get that answer out of him on his 86 squad against this Warriors team. And... We did. Yay! Uh, of course I was interested, but I knew actually, uh, I was feeling the heat. I was, I knew I was going to hear about that in our social media spaces had I backed down a little bit. Uh, and I know Kevin was uh, getting a little political as possible there, but geez, Kevin, you know, you're, in, you're in the studio now, dude, on a 24-7 basketball network. You know those hot take opinions are what keeps the checks rolling in for the man. But, uh, you know, I, I do know that team, of course, uh, revered by many Celtics fans, uh, many basketball historians, and of course, duh, the players on that team. There's only been 10,000, maybe 11,000 specials on the 86 Celtics, and I, I know for a fact that Kev and, and, and Danny, and it slipped my mind to say this to him directly, but uh, Mikhail and Ainge on a rainy day still popping the tape, or I guess you know now pull it up on YouTube. Uh, the 36-6 to third quarter against the Hawks in the East semis. Uh, I did have to move along there, although, although the rule changes. Remember, Larry broke the rules then. Uh, he cheated. Larry was a cheater on defense. He played zone D all the time back then, which was illegal, um, and he was able to get away with it because he was Larry Bird. Although, 
good luck playing zone against these dubs. But uh, the questions that were sent, uh, I, I'm not sure where I stand on the 86 Celts versus the current Warriors. Give me a couple months. Uh, I revere that Celtics team as much as anyone. Best ball movement team in the half court. Uh, bar effing, no, okay, maybe the Blazers at Walton's peak, but Walton, of course, was on that Celtics team. But one of their advantages, as I said to, to Kevin, you definitely can't do that bird at guard deal like they did so much against Milwaukee in the 86 uh, Eastern Conference Finals. You can't do that against Golden State. It'd be, But it would be fascinating to see how the Celtics uh, team would counter the Warriors' speed and ability to make shots from, from anywhere. And uh, obviously, Golden State, they're no slouches in moving the ball themselves. But uh, I don't know where I stand on that, comma, yet. Okay, but um, I have to agree with... With, with Kev on the game-to-game defensive intensity as opposed to last year. You know, very interesting that it's noticeable enough to a national observer like him. I'm sure, of course, that's something his good friend Danny must bring up to him upon private conversations with each other. And But like I, like I said to Adam, though, I just don't think it's something that you put a sledgehammer to the panic button over. It's, it's reared its head a little more than last year, but just not a lot more. And I'll fret upon it when it is a lot more. But I agree with the premise that it's there. However, I do have to wholeheartedly disagree that the Celts are a trade away or a move away or a player away or whatever, unless it's like, you know, LeBron. Uh, but uh, unless we're excluding Golden State from the league anytime soon, ditto with Cleveland, I don't know. I, I think this is something I, I think we'll have to say for a different show because this is a pretty big topic. Uh, in fact, it's pretty much the topic as it pertains to the Boston freaking Celtics. But as of now, I am now more inclined to believe that this is primarily a bridge team to the next great Celtic team. Uh, if there is a next great Celtic team in the near future, I enjoy it and its value in being com- as competitive and as relevant as they are and creating that appropriate environment to making said franchise building that much easier. But using the hypothetical, I don't... I. Just don't think they're a Gordon Hayward or even a Jimmy Butler away from being at the top of the NBA pecking order. Better, yes, but the goal, as we know, is not to be better. It's to win the title. But, you know, like I said, let's save this for a different show. So as there's just a lot more discussion to have here, I, I don't know. I think the Nets picks, particularly this year, they have more value towards growing the franchise organically rather than being used as currency to add that quote-unquote final piece because I I'm not sure these Celts are one more piece of the puzzle away. Kevin Durant, had he signed here, different story. But uh, like I said, I I need to think just a little more where this organization is at. Just a lot harder, a little more than that. Now. I, I need a little more time to think. I'm sorry. I'm really stuttering. And, and, and no, I'm not going to let games against the Orlando Magic and uh, the Bucs uh, have any sort of massive shift in any type of mass shaping of personal opinion there. So put that on the queue. Because we don't have any more time here on episode number 194. Music for this show was provided by Chuck Dietz and Steph Legretto. Follow us on social media. You can reach me on Twitter at CLNS underscore LHR. Follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Celtics. Beat his up with some messages. Once again, thanks to Kevin McHale, Adam Himmelsbach, and you for being here and with us on this Sunday morning, the final in January. Today's sponsors were Blue Apron and Audible. One more time, audible.com slash try now for a free audiobook along with a 30-day trial period. For staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Justin Poulin, founder of the network Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you on Super Bowl Sunday. 
for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.